I hit it crummy yesterday. The ball was going to the right. How do I keep it from going to the right? I think the very best players understand the two, three, four things, whatever it is they need to do to play their best, and they keep doing that regardless of how they played yesterday or the week before. This is The Tournament Code. We appreciate you taking the time to join us, Tony. We know a little bit about your work, know about some of the players you've worked with. But before we start with your teaching, just tell us how you got into the game of golf. I think I got into it probably similar to a huge chunk of the folks listening. You know, through my dad and my grandfather, you know, they they started me when I was when I was little. There's a picture of me somewhere like at six years old. I think I was at Disney World, you know, putting. But you know, I started with my grandfather and my dad, and really my grandfather fostered huge love of the game for me. He retired at an early age at like 52 from working in the Pentagon and moved to Pinehurst. And so, you know, from an early age, I would go spend, you know, a big chunk of the summer staying with him and my grandmother. And he lived on this little nine hole place there called Midland Farms. It's just a square. Basically, you got the holes go all around the outside of it. And in fact, when I was, uh, I was in Pinehurst last year for U.S. kids, of all things, uh, or something to that effect. and Or maybe it was the North-South Junior with a junior. And we went over and used that range because there was some weather or something. And so, you know, I played a lot as a kid in Pinehurst, and, and it's been cool to interesting as, as life is kind of full circle. And so the first major I ever taught in was at Pinehurst at the U.S. Open, and with Smiley Kaufman and Sam Love and some other guy, Robbie Shelton. I think I had three guys in the year that year. So it was my first uh, professional major to coach in. And, and then obviously Andy Ogletree having won the U.S. Amateur at Pinehurst. So, and then I've done a bunch of fun. I've been to there a couple times with Golf Magazine and Shot and stuff like that. So Pinehurst has a special place in my heart and it's where I learned to play. And all those summer afternoons with my grandfather is kind of what started the love of it. And you know, just love the game, you know, probably like most people, it gave me time to spend with them. And, you know, I, I enjoyed that and, and I still do. That is awesome. How did, how did that getting into golf there lead to you becoming a coach? I think like all of us, like, you know, I, I got better, you know, I mean, I was a decent junior player. I, I mean, I wasn't like, I mean, I wasn't anything crazy good. And I look now though, you look back and I, I wish, you know, I, I knew all I knew about recruiting and development back when I was 14, 15, right? But, uh, you know, I'm 52. I mean, junior golf was different then. Like, you really played a lot local and maybe regionally, but not near as many people went and traveled and played all over the country. You know, AJGA developed sometime in the middle in there, you know, in my, but not everybody traveled to do all that stuff. So, I mean, I remember playing, my family moved to Birmingham and I played in the Future Masters as a senior in high school. And that, that was a huge tournament. It's still a huge tournament, but it was a mammoth tournament back then because regionally, and there were some folks that played internationally, but, you know, I, I, I was, uh, I was a above average player. I wanted to play college golf somewhere along the line there when I was about, I had some great club pros teach me along the way. There was a guy, Mike Landry, who was in Houston at the time and he was one of the first club pros that really took an interest in me 
and I'm still friends with him, oddly enough, on Facebook. And he's and he teaches golf out out west now. But uh, you know, he had a huge influence on me. I remember, I mean, I remember having my first girlfriend and him giving me crap about it in the pro shop. You know, the way club pros would be, and I just liked that atmosphere. I liked being one of the guys, and you know, and then a uh, there was an older golf professional, Denton Scott, in Birmingham, gave me a job when my family moved there, and he was very influential to me uh he was so well respected i just remember looking up to him as far as like everybody looked up to him and i remember thinking that was a cool thing as a 16 17 year old kid and i think i was a junior in high school and a new driving range kind of -of state-of-the-art teaching facility for that time especially opened in birmingham and a guy named mark wood was the director of director of instruction and he'd been with the golf digest program and i didn't know he was only 10 years older than me i thought he had to be older and wiser you know i was but uh um i tell this story all the time my my dad brought me to him and uh you know he made me a deal he said i could that he would teach me as much as i wanted through that summer as long as i made the money myself to pay him the hundred dollars for the first lesson and i mean it was a great lesson right i had to go earn it. he was like i don't want you to go ask your dad I don't want you to go borrow from your grandparents. I want you to get off your butt and earn the money. And I did. And so, you know, I hung out a bunch with him and, you know, he, I always tell him now, I mean, he's the mode, he's the, he's a great teacher. He's taught Bo Van Pelt most of his career, Dudley Hart, a bunch of tour players, married to Kathy Hartwood, married to, you know, great teacher. And, uh, he was the motivation and the reason that I, that I wanted to become, a golf teacher. I mean, cause I, I, you know, admired everything about him. He was a huge influence, looked up to him. And, you know, from there, other coaches and other sports, I always looked up to, I was grew up a big Notre Dame fan, not popular in Alabama, but huge Notre Dame fan and Lou Holtz. I mean, I, you know, I would always watch anytime something would come on with coach Holtz, you know, I'd always watch it and listen to him. And, and then I went to a small school in San Antonio, St. Mary's university and fortunate enough to play there. And, some of my best friends in the world are still my were my teammates, and Coach Meyer, who passed away last year, and Coach Zelznak, who became the head basketball coach after him, they became close friends, and I loved like just going and sitting at basketball games in a small school though, watching they had won a national championship, uh, you know, at that time was NAIA, but I remember like being next to the bench and or right behind it, and loving listening to the dialogue and how they yelled at players and smacked them on the ass and got on them and different things and like I just I always thought that was cool I mean I and that motivated me and that's what I wanted to do and I knew I wasn't gonna be a basketball coach I mean I was you know five nine and a half stretching it and but I knew I wasn't gonna be in basketball and golf was you know what I was passionate about and you know it my life led me to that eventually you know you mentioned earlier you work with Smiley Kaufman and Andy Ogletree and I know we'll talk about later you work with you know, people that are on tour now, like uh, Lucas Glover. And I know a lot of coaches don't really, may not want to do the week-to-week grind on the PGA Tour like you're doing that. Is that something that you always wanted to do, or did you just kind of fall into that? So first of all, I worked with Lucas for about five years, maybe a hair longer, up until a year and a half, two years ago. And we don't, I mean, we're still friends. I texted him after, I mean, his play that he's had the last, few weeks has been unbelievable he's one of the best people i've ever taught 
one of the best people I've ever had the opportunity to coach and be around. And I had a, a great run with him, made a tour championship as his coach. But, you know, I, I, I never set out to like coach on the PGA Tour. There's teachers that do that now, I think, that that's what they want to do. And I think they probably are motivated more by money and fame than they are by really loving the game. I always thought, and I was always brought up, I mean, you should be wanting to teach the person in front of you. And if you do a good enough job and you get good at that, you'll have the opportunity to teach people as, as they get better. And, I, and I'm a big believer that I think the best coaches and the best teachers in the world, you know, should develop young people from junior golf to competitive junior golf to college golf to play professionally like you did, Cooper, like going to play mini tour stuff and then get guys to the PGA Tour. So that's how I was brought up. You know, I, I was brought up old school in the teaching business from like Mark Wood, like I said, Wayne Flint, who's a great instructor and taught me uh, for a good while. And, and then Hank Johnson, who passed, I guess, a year and a half ago was, you know, he was a top 50 teacher, golf digest top 50 teacher, ran the digest schools and, you know, lived in Birmingham forever. And he was old school. I mean, they were hard as hell on me. Like the stuff that they made me do, I, I mean, I couldn't get away with, with my people now, but it was a heck of a learning curve and a heck of a learning experience. But they, they were so hard on me with like, Hank said something to me once and I, at the time I didn't, I thought it was probably an insult, but now I realize it was a compliment, but he said that the reason I had a chance to be really good was because I never thought I was any good and that I was always trying to get better. You know, at the time I thought that's not very nice, (laughs) you know, but, but now I look back on it and it was, you know, it was a compliment and, you know, I've been fortunate to be on the tee with so many great people and, and I still don't consider myself as good or, equal to most any of them i'm always just trying to get better and figure out how to help the person in front of me and if if that person turns out to be a tour player and all that then i mean it's great but uh i I just don't really ever want to just teach tour players i've had the opportunity to do a bunch of that and and you know i mean the biggest thing i've learned in this business is that you're no matter how good you do you're going to get fired right i mean it's just part of the gig and i've probably had a harder time with that than than other people and like big part of my journey is figuring you know and I tell other coaches and teachers it's like you got to find out who you are figure out what what's important to you and what you like to do and and I've made mistakes along the way where I've chased places that would pay you a bunch of money and do different things but like man that gets you away from who you are and what you do and I don't ever want to get where I don't teach a 13 year old that really would like to get good and I don't want to ever get where I mean I don't teach a 65 year old that just loves playing and is trying to hit it more solid and beat his buddies out of 50 bucks I mean I I want to teach anybody that wants to get better and obviously my teaching's evolved and I use a team kind of concept and uh that probably goes back to watching basketball right like watching everybody have a role and a job but uh you know so going back to your question I mean I, I didn't ever set out to be a tour teacher and, uh, you know, I, I think I'm just a teacher and a coach, you know, I think of myself more as a coach and, and I've been fortunate to teach a bunch of guys that are real good and we've had some good years and we've had some bad years, you know, but, uh, but I think that's part of the get part of the deal. Definitely. And, um, I kind of want to add on So in what ways would you say that you're still kind of an old school teacher and in what ways specifically has your coaching philosophy evolved over time? So I'd say I'm still old school in that. You know, I still draw plain lines and 
I still like the club to lag and, and I still teach a lot of grip and posture, a lot of rhythm and balance. I mean, I don't think that rhythm and balance and a good grip and good ball position ever goes out of style, you know? And, um, you know, I was fortunate, like I said, uh, to be brought up under the people I was brought up under. And I would be one of those people that would say the basic information, like the basic things I'm trying to get a player to do haven't changed dramatically a lot since I started or, or had a good foundation. Maybe the way I explain them and maybe I've refined my understanding of them and certainly we have more technology to explain stuff now but you know I was early on and uh I, mean, I don't bore people with my story but like you know when I started I mean I was living in this place and I was making like 200 bucks a week starting out and I mean I had my Ford Explorer repossessed and I mean I lived like I had like two three months or so I didn't have power in this place you know and uh I was trying to figure it out when that when I got hired by Hank and Wayne, they were like, you know, hey, if you'll teach people to get set up, I'd watched Hank probably teach five thousand lessons, and I'd watched T- Hank teach, uh, you know, a fair amount. And they said to me when they hired me from this place I was at, starving, they offered me a job. They said if you'll teach everybody to get their grip on there, everybody to get postured correctly, and you'll teach them to make a pivot back and through and make a divot in the right spot, and you'll teach fifty grand. It's like, well, 50 grand when you don't have power turned on is a lot of damn money. And, in, you know, in 2000, 2001 or whatever it was, it's, it was even, you know. So I was like, well, hell, I'll do that. I mean, you know. And so I did that. And I got criticized by a bunch of people. I, oh, all he does is teach everybody the same thing. But it was great for me. It gave me a structure. It gave me a framework to operate within. I started seeing how some people got better, some people didn't, and I had a. Then I started having to try to figure out why did these people get better, but these people did, you know. And that kind of led me down the road of, you know, some of the stuff I've learned over the years from, you know, you, you going to where it's involved, like doing stuff with Doctor Scott Lynn and biomechanics and using swing catalyst. I bought like the second swing catalyst in the United States. I mean, I didn't have any money, but I knew it could help me. Saved up and. I had a radio show on PGA Tour Radio at that time, so we traded a piece of it just to promote it. Yeah, but, like, I learned a ton from it. And so my teachings evolved as far as my understanding of why my basic stuff worked for some people but didn't for others. Mike Adams told me once that I needed to, you know, add more tools to my toolbox. So I've I've made a conscious effort to always try to do that. But then I say the biggest, you know, the second, I guess you would, uh, biggest break in my teaching was I had the opportunity to, with Smiley, to do stuff with Colby Touye, who trains, you know, Justin Thomas, Tommy Fleetwood, my, you know, a huge chunk of the tour. You know, he came over to my tee at that time I was at the Country Club of Mobile, and we worked with Smiley, and it was just revolutionary seeing how he could train people to make different movements using fitness bands and helping people learn the movement pattern away from the ball, away from the club, and then jump in and they were better at it. And I was like, well, that's, that's different. And that's, you know, we'd all been around fitness, like TPI and stuff where you'd send somebody to a guy and they'd give them an eval and they'd tell them they were this, they were that, the other, but like really tying it in, being there during the lesson and making the program experience really specific to whatever movement I wanted was different. And so that would be where I've evolved to now as we 
that are making people change their movement path. Yeah, I was just going to say you and Colby Wayne working together on Instagram, I've never really seen a TPI coach actually in the hitting bay telling players do this and then they do it and then the swing coach telling players do this and then do it. How did how did that kind of relationship come about? You know, with Smiley. You know, Smiley, uh, at the time, Colby was in Baton Rouge. Smiley was finishing up at LSU and, and uh, you know, Smiley really got he bought into what Colby was doing and and then I started working with him we started working together and we had tons of and we had a lot of success and but I I I kept learning I kept asking Colby like I I would ask him why I could send him a video of a player like why can't I get this guy to do this right you know and his explanation of it from the physical standpoint was revolutionary to me and it's helped me he's been such a big help to me in my career I could never repay that but um you know that's kind of how it started with smiley and then it morphed into you know he moved to palm beach and or jupiter and he was like man you got to get down here this is where all the best players in the world are and it took me a while but uh you know i'm, I'm happy being down there uh, most of the time and 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 so you know we you know a lot from there morgan hale who i do who works with me here in mobile uh she's an unbelievable teacher and also fitness she's trained under colby for basically eight nine years now with me and being around him and then one of Colby's assistants Aaron McConley who's down there full-time does so much with me so because obviously with my schedule Colby's schedule you can't teach together every day but like that that having people that understand how we work and utilizing that aspect of it in the bay has become part of how I operate most every day. I think having that kind of group that you can send problems to and having experts in different areas, I can imagine is super beneficial, not only for you, but for your students. And so they get hands-on approach, plenty of attention, but also it's not necessarily sapping all of your attention, allowing each person to be put to their highest and best use. As part of what you mentioned there, you'd said, you know, we worked on grip a lot when you, when you had started. Are there any fundamentals regarding like posture setup grip etc that you like do you have preferences do you have rules what what does that look like for you in the golf swing i mean i you know i like to start with the ball in the same you know same place every time Uh, i think that if you start you know i remember the first lesson i gave lucas you know similar to the same first lesson i've given a bunch of folks tour players whatever was like yeah i would start with a rope down for the target line the ball right next to it and a stick, you know, perpendicular to it, you know, where you put the ball, a club head width inside that heel. And I like to see where the ball goes from there, hit some balls, film it from there and then adjust and then work off of that. Right. But I think you need, you know, you, you know, I think with a player, you need a baseline. You need to start for have a starting point you start with and then know what the ball does from there and then work your way towards what the player needs to do. But I think, you know, you, you watch a lot. I, I, mean, I think ball position and, you know, balanced posture is huge. I can't tell you how many times with a really good player, a lot of their problems are just the ball's out of spot and they're in a bad spot and they're out of balance, you know, and there's and they're trying to do something that even if they did it, they'd hit a worse shot because the ball's not in the right spot or, or they're not balanced. So, you know, uh, I mean, that's a huge focal point for me, and that's kind of where I always start. And then when it comes to working – with players to make that setup consistent. You know, you'd mentioned that 
Lucas had the had the ball move around. I heard you on other podcasts talk about how it's easy on the range for the ball to move around. How do you get players just to practice keep, keeping it consistent? I don't think there's any. You know, I always tell folks like I, I think that the best players in the world do the best job of taking care of those things that you can take care of that you can control, right? And I, you know, I always say like I use this example like I just remember one year like I went to a yeah, I went to a bunch. Yeah, I was at a bunch of tour events, and went to some big college events, and and you know, and then I was at a couple like corn fairy events. And the thing that struck me was like at each level, I don't know that the guys with that were the best players looked tremendously different. Like as far as how they hit it, the speed, the way the ball came out. But what did strike me was like when they went to the range how the best players had way more of a plan probably spent way less time just there hitting balls, but like were very specific in what they worked on and did a much better job of monitoring the small details like ball position and aim and so forth. And and I would, you could stretch that all the way to the club level golfer. The three of us could ride out to any golf course around you guys right now, sneak up in the trees and watch the people on the range. And 95% of them can't break 90 but they don't have anything down on the ground for aim or ball position and there'll be one guy on the end that's probably the club champion and he's got sticks down right i mean it's you know it's it's that that goes you know i mean that never changes i don't think so you know i mean that's you know i think that i don't know that there's any way to get better at it other than paying attention to it unfortunately i mean i wish there was because it would make all of our jobs way easier but I think that one of the things that if you want to be really good, you have to decide is you have to say that that's important and I'm going to monitor it and I'm going to get better at, at that. And I mean, a lot of players, you know, there's a lot of players that don't, but there's a lot of players that don't do that, that I don't think ever reach their full potential because they don't understand the importance of monitoring their day-to-day stuff. Exactly. So, you know, obviously golf swing mechanics are important and fundamentals are important, but a golf swing doesn't win golf tournaments. Low scores win golf tournaments. And you've coached some of the best college players and amateurs in the world, like Andy Ogletree and Ben Carr. So you've taken two amateurs to the Masters. What would you attribute this level of success to for this level of player? I would say the four best college players I've taught would be Bobby Wyatt, who I taught for the majority of his career, Robbie Shelton, who I taught up to a couple years ago, Andy and Ben. And I would say that their ability to one, understand their golf swing and only listen to what what they need to do and not have ears that listen to other things. And I think all of them at times have fallen victim to letting those outside thoughts come in and lead them astray, but most of the time they've come back. But all four of them were really good at understanding their strengths and were exceptional at understanding how to play golf, like how to navigate around a golf course. I would say that Andy Ogletree, even counting all the tour players I've been around, I mean, when he came out of college, he was one of the best I've ever seen at understanding how to how to dissect a golf course. I think Ben Carr is really good at that. Uh, Bobby was great at that. Robbie was great at that. So I think that the I think that like how they hit the golf ball, like I said earlier, wasn't dramatically different than a bunch of other folks we would have all seen right 
And if you look at each of them, they all have different golf swings, you know. Andy gets his left arm gets more upright, you know, it drops a little bit, you know. You know, Bobby was, you know, I mean, his swing was long, rhythm was beautiful. Uh, you know, he'd get it a little more into out, hit a draw when he played his best. You know, Ben's obviously can get real shut at times, you know. You know, Robbie would hit a fade, his left arm would get a little low at times, like, but they were all different with all really good ball strikers. And so, you know, I think ball striking's half the part. And but the other part to becoming great is is understanding how to play. And I think that uh and then and then commitment to understanding what you need to do to hit your golf shot. I think majority a lot of folks are always worried about the last shot. They're always worried about like I hit it I hit it crummy yesterday. The ball was going to the right. How do I keep it from going to the right? I think the very best players understand the two, three, four things, whatever it is they need to do to play their best, and they keep doing that regardless of how they played yesterday or the week before. I think the best players are way better at big picture thinking. I think that's our challenge as coaches, though, to to help them at times keep their eyes on the big picture versus evaluate everything about how they hit it today or yesterday. When it comes to working with a player, you said – one of the things that kind of can help measure coaches is, you know, and one of the things you've enjoyed is working with players at every level and helping them get to each next level because uh, some coaches may get s- stuck with a player at a certain level or get stuck with players and not be able to help them. Is that, t- one, tell me, is is that the case from your perspective that, you know, sometimes a coach can help a player only get so far and then maybe the player needs someone else and then Secondly, tell us about some of the stories of you working with guys all the way through and what that's been like. I think at times a player and a coach get to a point where the player probably doesn't want to hear that it's the same old thing, okay? And I think there's two sides to that. I think that as a coach, I mean, I'd like to think that the same thing will work. But I do think that there at the highest level, there's probably a shelf life among some of the relationships because I think that you're dealing with a lot of personalities, a lot of emotion, and you got all kinds of, you know, you've got a lot of, more than ever, you've got more distractions than you've ever had. You've got agents, girlfriends, wives, mental coaches, fitness coaches. I mean, you got every, right, you know, and so you're, you're juggling lots of that. So I think that the odds that, you know, that that goes on forever probably are slim and none. And I also think it's human nature when you start playing bad enough that I think you got to blame somebody, right? And so that being said, I think that at a certain point, sometimes probably players always go move on to hear something different if they hit, you know. But especially for like tour players that you haven't raised since they were young, I think there's a little bit different. I think when you've brought somebody up from a young age, it's a little bit different, I think, because they've really basically been brought up and only heard your terminology, the way you do things. And I think you're more into their DNA as a player and a person. So I think probably why that type of coaching interests me more, because I think long term, you you know, there's less turnover and I think you make a bigger impact on the person. So, I mean, it, it, that's kind of a tough question. I probably, hell, I probably didn't answer it worth a damn either. But, like, you know, like I, I think there's times 
that no matter how good a job you do, the message gets stale. But then I think when it comes to developing players, I think that I, I would tell you, though, that most cases that if a coach and a player have had a really good success and run together, they would most of the time be better off sticking together through it. But I don't know that on the professional level that happens as much as it used to. To go to the you know, stories like, you know, heck, I mean, you know, Bobby Wyatt was my first really, really good player. I'll tell you a funny story. Like his, they were looking for a coach and a teacher and he called the office phone. His mom called the office phone and left a message for my mentor, Hank. And I got the message and I was like, well, shit, I'm going to try to teach this guy. I knew he was good, right? I never told Hank about that. I mean, he'd, you know, he'd have been mad. But anyway, so that's kind of how it started, you know, and, 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 you know, Bob just turned 30 this year. I'm 52. The, you know, he was the first person, like I used to go to big amateur and junior tournaments with him a bunch. And, you know, he was a huge break for me. He he was great. He was the number one amateur, number one junior in the world. Still extremely close with him. Like, well, I would say one of the closest people and one of the people that means the most to me because of how much we did together. And, and why. I, I, for me, the cool thing is watching him grow up, you know. Now he works for Goldman Sachs and still plays mid-amateur golf, and he's very he's there in Atlanta. And, uh, you know, so watching watching him grow up has been cool. And watching golf be such a central part of his life to now other things being a part of his life, but it's still seeing how he loves to compete. Robbie Shelton, I mean, you know, two kids that grew up in Mobile or Robbie grew up in Wilmer just outside of Mobile. I remember the first lesson I gave him and I always said, like, his greatest quality to me was his ability to, you could give him one or two things to work on, and then, you know, he never took tons of lessons. Bobby worked with you way more regularly, but Shelton would come back four or five weeks later, and you'd ask him what he's working on, and he would verbatim spit exactly back to you what you said the last lesson, and he'd been working on only that. And I think that's why he was he was so good as a young player. Yeah, I always admired that about him. We worked for a long, long time, and he said, he, you know, both, he, I, you always knew that they were going to at some point make the tour. Uh, and how long you stay out there and the success you have, I think there's a lot of other factors. And then, you know, Andy, when he, we started before college, and then when he went to Tech, I'd only see him four times a year. I mean, he was from up Union, Mississippi, just north of Meridian, or outside of Meridian. And, you know, he'd, I'd see him right before he'd go to school. I'd see him at fall break, and I'd see him twice over the winter before he'd go back. And then I wouldn't see him again until summer because Tech was probably at such a busy schedule. Now, you know, as as he went on and, you know, he kept getting better and better and had more needs, as especially as you understand it, where his career is going to take him. I mean, obviously, we found ways to work more and to see each other more. But um, And then Ben, uh, you know, Ben and I worked – for, we've worked for four years. We took, you know, like Andy, we we took eight, nine months off and, and he went and did his own thing. I've gotten kind of more stubborn and meaner when they decide they want to get other opinions and stuff and, you know, uh, say some things that are hard on them. But, uh, you know, Ben, you know, I think the thing with Ben is he coming from a small school like Georgia Southern, he had a huge amount of expectations put on him, you know, when he started playing really, really good in his junior year. And then I think part of the teaching process is helping them understand how to handle that. And 
and understand that dealing with that may mean sometimes you don't play well, but that's part of growing up, you know? And so, you know, obviously his success at the AM and Andy's success at the AM and helping him prepare for the masters and stuff has been awesome. But, um, you know, uh, each one of them was very different, very different golf swings. I think that's something as a teacher, like I'm proud of because they do, they, and they're also four very, very different people. And my relationship with all of them is, has been, you know, very, very close. I mean, even not working with Robbie, I mean, you know, I still text occasionally, or if I see him, gives me a hug. I texted him and asked if he wanted to go tarpon fishing the other day because I was wanting to go down there. I mean, I, I think that relationship is special and important too. Going back to Bobby Wyatt, when he became number one in the world as a junior and an amateur, is this something that you saw coming or did this kind of come as a surprise to you? since, you know, he was the first player that you took to this level. He was so good when I started teaching him. The only thing I could do was screw him up, right? Like, I was trying to stay out of the way. You know, I'd say both him and Robbie, like, you, I think everybody expected that to a certain extent, and I think they expected themselves to do that. I don't, you know, I was so new to it at that time, and, and learning – you know, with Bobby in particular, Hank was, I was still more involved with Hank. And obviously, you know, I had, you know, I would bounce things off of him at times. And so I had, I've always had great mentors behind me that I could, I mean, they did a couple things. They one would never let me screw anybody up. Hank or Wayne or Tom Ness, who was in Atlanta. I mean, all these great teachers or Woody would never let me screw one of those guys up. And, and I knew that, so there was some comfort in that. But two, like, they always kept me in check, too. If I started thinking, these guys are good, how good am I? They would kick my ass and make sure I didn't get too full of myself. I, yeah, I, I think you expected that. I mean, I think when any time you start with somebody really talented and is driven, you you expect to get, a, get wins and get to the top. But you have to temper that with the understanding that golf's really hard and you don't always get where you're trying to go. And that does and I think the learning curve for me was understanding that that doesn't doesn't necessarily mean you suck as a teacher and doesn't mean you didn't do your job. That golf's really hard and you can't equate your self worth as a teacher or as a person to how your guys play every week. And I think that's a really hard lesson to learn. For some people, I think if you care a lot and it's you know, you're passionate about it, you know. I mean, I think that's, uh, I mean, I think it's hard to separate those two, but it's something I've tried to get better at. As you know, we're called the tournament code, and that's because one of the things that we really care about is golf tournaments, because that's a great way and the best way to test where test where you are. As Cooper said earlier, golf swings don't win tournaments. When you're working with your players, how do you help them get better, A, at playing in tournaments and put up better scores, and B, how do you help them what do you tell them to do on the course, et cetera, in their practice? Try to make tournaments more like practice and practice more like tournaments. You know, one, I don't know that you really can simulate tournament play till tournament play, right? I mean, I think we we do a better job of preparing them now, but there's still only there's the only one way to do it. And I know, like, yeah, you know, doing a U.S. Mid Am qualifier. I mean, that's like stuff like that. I watch the guys at work now and then go try to do that stuff, and I have as much or more respect for that than I do the guys that are out there playing with me because you go from working a job doing things and then boom you know five times a year you tee it up when it really matters it's harder you know obviously technology and some of those things like you know 
I use the Bushnell Launch Pro. Obviously, I do a bunch with them, and 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 or like the quads and the TrackMan and all those things nowadays have ways that you can, you know, create games to play and test yourself with yardage. And you know, I, I just think um, I think the more you do that, the better you are. I like to encourage players to go practice more on the golf course, you know, because I think we fall with all the technology and all the videos and social media and how there's so much info out there every day. And you can like, I think people fall into this going to the range, trying to fix something that maybe is not broken. Right. And, uh, I think we, you know, to, how do you get better prepared for tournament play? I think you play and I think you play, I think you try to, you know, play for something against somebody that's better as much as you can. I think one of the reasons I had a six, you know, we had some success with juniors getting a bunch better is, I mean, juniors were always around the Bobby Wyatt's and the Robbie Shelton's hanging out at the country club of mobile when I was teaching there. And so that brought up a bunch of other kids that played at other schools that are extremely successful. And, and, um, you know, and then nowadays, you know, I do these retreats. And so like, I've got two or three kids coming in this weekend to work with me at old Palm. And I've got three of my tour players going to be there working and hanging out. And I make them go practice and play with the kids because I think they learn what it's like to be a tour player. They see how they work. I also think it's fantastic for the tour player to learn to give back, to learn to explain what they do, have to sit and actually think through and talk about what they do. So I think that there's benefits on both sides for that. And, and I think we should expect our people that are good and that we, that we have relationships with to give back and to help the people coming up. I think in this generation and not to sound old, but like with all of this immediate, you know, instant gratification and all the stuff on the phone. I mean, I think people get away from helping the people that came up behind, you know, Uh, I learned from my grandfather, but there was, you know, and, and the pros that I mentioned, but there was a, a great you know, what we would call mid-am player now at Pinehurst, who was a realtor when I was a kid. His name was Bob Klug, and he was like the Cutch Club of North Carolina club champion. I remember going out and playing with him, and it being a huge deal. Like, and he really cared about helping me, you know? I think if we could get more, you know, I mean, it's probably wistful thinking, but I think, you know, if we could get more in touch where those of us that have experience spent more time with those of us coming up, I think it would help both sides. Absolutely. As far as your work with Bushnell, tell us a little bit about that because I have I have a Launch Pro, love it. Cooper has one, uh, just got one the other week, and we both really enjoyed being able to use that for various in various different ways to help help us get better. Especially my practice time is limited uh, with work and everything like that, and so is Cooper's, and so that's been a great tool for us. I've been involved with Bushnell for a number of years my good friend and one of their reps also by been my longtime Strixon reps. I've been fortunate. I've had relationships with the same companies for long periods of time. I've never really jumped around. I mean, look, anybody in golf knows that like, I mean, for years, like the Bush though, everybody, that was the range finder everybody go get. Right. And, you know, so I got introduced to them and, and they always would pick my brain on things and I'd pick their brain. And then when they had this launch pro come out, they wanted to, you know, figure out how to apply it to golfers of different levels. And so, you know, we kind of helped each other with that. And then I had this idea for showing how I work as a team with Colby and 
Dr. Greg Carton and Mark Hackett and Dan Terleski at Old Palm and those folks, like how we would help as a group, different people. And I thought it'd be cool if not just tour players, but we showed what that was like for a regular golfer, an average golfer. And so we created this, you know, content series, if you will, pro work, and we're in the middle of launching a bunch of those. And it's been fun. I mean, obviously, you know, anytime somebody, you know, is part of something, we're going to show the launch pro, but it's been very cool to me to partner with them and to show them and to show people like what it's like to go inside the ropes behind the scenes and all work together as well as like, you know, as well as show how you can use the launch pro to help people. Cause I think now that products like, you know, before whatever it was five, six, eight years ago, the number of people that could go get a really good launch monitor, like wasn't very, I mean, because like who, how many people do we know really can go spend 25,000 on something they're going to use on a range, right? I mean, like to me, like, you know, and when I'd have like a person come see me, who was just a recreational golfer and they pulled their track man out. I'm like, I mean, this guy's a dork. I mean, right. Like, I mean, like what's this guy wasting 25 grand to shoot 78 for, right? Like, you know, get a life. But I was like, you know, now when you can go spend three grand or whatever it is and, and have the opportunity to, to, you know, cause going back to like how you score better, we've touched on like, man, like the biggest thing is improving your wedge play, knowing how far you carry things is so big. And so there's just, you know, like everyone, we're making it easier to do that. So, you know, it's been fun with Bushnell doing the stuff that, that we've done, especially with pro work and, and also showcasing some of our good young players, giving them an opportunity to get some exposure along with just showing how we work, kind of do the same thing where, you're a 15 handicapper and you come down i mean we're going to bust your chops and go drink some cold beers and have a good time but like you're going to get better and you're i mean we're going to make you do some exercises with colby that you may not like but you're going to get better right or or greg's going to show you how to practice and how to think and how to get more performance out of it so it's been a fun project something that i wanted to touch on previously that you went over is managing expectations um something that you know, I've struggled with in my college playing days, and I know a lot of my fellow college players have felt the same ways. Just learning how to manage expectations can be very difficult. So how do you help players do that as a coach? Well, I've done it better at times than others. So like in every other part of my life, I'm horrific and shitty. You got to cut that out, I'm sure. But like at having a plan and being organized, right? Like if you went and looked in my car right now, you'd be like, there's no way this guy could make a plan for anything, right? But when it comes to like your golf swing and your golf game and your tournament play, you know, I'm fortunate to be able to see big picture. And I think that, you know, our job as coaches is to help you players understand the big picture and where you're going. And I think players generally see everything as day-to-day how you played today, how you played yesterday. And I think that I think the better you're in touch with the big picture, where you're going, the things you need to improve on, I think the better that helps you moving forward. As far as expectations go, I mean, I think that, you know, understanding that just because helping people understand that just because you played poorly this week doesn't mean you'll play poorly this week. I mean, how many times as a player miss the cut and then the next week they've won or they finish third. I mean, it happens all the time. I mean, if you follow Twitter, you see that stuff all the time, right? Or how many times has have you as a player had an absolutely horrible range session and then gone out and shot four under? 
right? Like, you know, I mean, that happens. And then, I mean, and then the opposite is true. How many times have you striped it, not missed a shot, and shot eight over, right? You know? So understanding that there's, you know, understanding that just because you hit it bad doesn't mean you, you're going to play bad. Just because you hit it good doesn't mean you're going to play good. And then helping a player stay more in touch with the big picture of where they're going. And and I think our job as coaches with tournament players is helping eliminate as many distractions as you can. I think distractions, um, you know, hurt the player. Uh, so, you know, it's not always pleasant to say, hey, you know what? Like, you've missed two cuts in a row. It's probably best if you don't fly across country and go see your girlfriend. But more importantly, we go do good range, get back to your range session, right? Or your wife or whatever. Doesn't matter, right? But like, you know, I think that, uh, you know, sometimes I think you have to have difficult conversations with players. I think the more we keep the player focused on the big picture where they're going and less focused on the day-to-day ups and downs, I think the better chance we have at success. But then, and then, you know, I think with kids in particular and parents nowadays, I mean, we could do a whole podcast on parents of golf nowadays. I mean, goodness, helping players understand that how they play shouldn't have any relationship to their worth or whether people care about them or love them or whatever, I think is a huge, huge deal. And that's outside of my pay scale. That's why I have folks like Dr. Carton with me, you know, just understanding that, you know, the biggest thing I've learned from him is that to explain to people that like, just because you have certain feelings, whether you're scared of something, whether you're nervous, isn't wrong. And it's okay to have those thoughts and those feelings, right? Like we got to help you learn how to deal with them and, and, and go. And that, like, you know, I think people think that because they have these thoughts or these feelings, if you will, and these expectations get on them, that they think that that makes them different than somebody else because those expectations weigh down on them and they feel like they're different. They feel like there's something wrong, that it's bothering them, helping them understand that that's normal and that it's okay to have those, but that it's how you react to them and how you work with them and so forth that, that are what separates you from being a better player to, you know, a, a, you know, a winner or, or whatever level you're trying to get to. And I also think that uh, helping a player understand that it's okay if you don't make it, right? Like, I mean, Cooper, you're talking about going back to the family business. I mean, that's a hard, I mean, those are hard decisions, but like supporting a player that wants to do that's a huge part of what you do, right? And if you're like me and you teach a lot of folks that come along through that, like you're going to have more people come to that realization than you are that it's, that they're going to play the tour. Success looks different for everybody. When you said for yourself, you know, it's as a golf coach, you can't define yourself by how your students are playing necessarily or anything like that. When it comes to your teaching, what does success look like for you or how do you try to find that? What for me as a teacher or as, or for players? Yeah. You, you said, you said, you know, I can't like, I can't take how my students are playing and live and die in say, Hey, I'm a good golf coach or bad, or especially a lot of coaches will be like, man, my students are playing bad. I'm a terrible golf coach. What does success look like for you as far as working with your students, being happy with what you're doing, and knowing you've done a good job? You know, so success for me now is probably different than it was 10, 12 years ago. 
I think success for me now is am I teaching the people, you know, am I, am I teaching people that want to get better for one, right? Like I'm fortunate I'm at the point, like I don't really have to take on some guy just because he's going to pay you for the hour and you need to pay the car payment on Friday, right? Like I've been there, you know, like, man, I hope this guy shows or I'm not going to pay rent. So teaching people that want to get better, but like, I always look at it at the end of the year. Like, I mean, do I feel like I've learned more this year? Am I in a better place to help people? That's really important to me. Uh, but I, I think the thing I, I touched on it earlier, like, you know, for a while I went through this phase where like, man, like, you know, I was flattered to be offered the opportunity to teach at a real nice place and put my name on it. It was a horrible decision and I didn't enjoy much of it, right? Like it wasn't me. It didn't fit me. So finding the right place to be surrounded by the right people that believe in what I do and believe in, you know, like I'm very passionate about helping other teachers and younger people but come up. And I think we need to do a better job and be and 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 help people. So like if I if success to me is helping more people come up behind me and being in a great place that I enjoy being surrounded by other people that believe what I do and are passionate about that is success. And you know, I'm at a point in my life where I mean, you start realizing you can't do it forever and you want to do it with people that enjoy doing it. And heck, I'd let you know, you know, and also do realizing that you got to spend more time for yourself. Like, you know, I like to spend time in the Keys drinking beer and fishing and uh, try to make myself do more of that and, and spend more time with my daughter and my wife and son and stuff like that. You know, probably my biggest challenge is to be better at the personal side of things than it is on the on the professional side. And I'm trying to get better at that. I can imagine when you got a lot of clients who want a lot of things from you and you want to do good by them, it can be be tough to balance everything. Hard think, to say no. Yeah, I, I can imagine. That covers a lot of, you know, a lot of stuff today. We've gone over a lot of really good stuff as far as fundamentals in the golf swing that you think about as far as how you use technology and teaching and then also getting players better at tournaments. I think that's a perfect lead into our final question. It's the same question for everybody. For you, it's going to be two parts. The first part is, if you go back to yourself as a junior golfer and tell yourself just one thing, what would that one thing be? And if you were going to tell a junior golfer one thing, what would that one thing be? So I would probably tell myself as a junior golfer that I was better than I thought I was. You know, um, I probably didn't realize, you know, I didn't I didn't realize that I was decent, you know? And, and I think had I, I think... I take way more, like, I always, I have this, I always say now, like, I always bet on myself. Like, I'm going to take a job or go to a place where I don't, I'm very confident in my ability to do my job and and to earn a living and do all that. So, like, I don't really like guarantees. I want I want to know that if I go kill it, I'm going to do better, right? I always bet on myself. I wasn't like that as a junior golfer. I mean, I'd be the guy, you know, I, I don't know that I wanted to be the number one player at the time, right? Like, I mean, I don't know that I wanted all that pressure. You know, I would I would tell myself back then that it's okay to bet on yourself, that it's okay. It's okay. I'd probably tell myself it's okay to fail, you know? I think I was scared to fail. Now I realize that that makes you better and, and that that's part of the deal. You know, I think I spent most of my career 
trying to prove that I was good enough, right? Or that, or that I could live up to other people's expectations, you know, you know, did I ever get to where Hank would have been proud of me as a teacher? Did I, have I ever got to the point where Wayne or Woody were, are proud of what I've done? And, and so now I'm at a point where like, I, I'm accepting of those things. And I say, like, I've done, I've been successful, done decent. And so I would tell myself to, it's okay to fail, not be fr- afraid of that. And what I would tell a junior nowadays is that you never know when it's going to click and you're going to, and you're going to become as good as you can be, right? Whatever that is. And that like, I mean, you know, I've taught kids that at 16 were the best players in the world and aren't playing now. And then I've seen kids that at 16, we probably wouldn't have taken them to be the first player on our scramble team. And they're still out there grinding and they got a shot to play for a living, right? That success and finding your place comes at different times for everybody in golf and in life. And you don't have to, you know, and that it's okay if at 15, not every good school in the country is looking at you. Cause I, that's what I see so much today. Like I see these kids and they're like, Oh my gosh, so-and-so is already committed to so I mean, like, I'm never going to get a chance to play college. I'm like, trust me, you're going to get a chance, you know? Uh, and then just because you go to Alabama technical, whatever, doesn't mean you couldn't play the tour if you worked your ass off and you got good enough and you did the right things i mean you can do it right you know i've always you know that the game of golf that good golf trumps everything and if you get good enough they can't keep you off the pga tour well they can unless if you played live but they can't keep you off the pga tour or professional golf if you're good enough right you'll create a place for you so just trying to keep getting better that is awesome well we appreciate you taking the time to join us where can people find you on social media, reach out to you, see your uh, YouTube series, all that stuff. So that you can go to Instagram. I'm pretty active on Instagram at the Dew Sweeper. And you can go to YouTube and just type in Dew Sweepers Golf. Uh, there's a bunch there. Or if you go to YouTube and just type in Pro Work, it ty- it pulls up all the stuff we did with Bush now. And uh, those are the main ways. And you can go to just type in Dew Sweepers Golf into your browser. Some, some stuff of me will pull up from somewhere, I'm sure. So but I look, you guys are doing great stuff. I've started following y'all. I, uh, I saw you did some stuff with Ralph Bauer and, uh, Ralph's a legend putting and, uh, had the opportunity to do stuff with him and just follow you guys. Great stuff. It's cool to watch you guys grow and appreciate your interest in me and look forward to hopefully running into y'all down the road. We appreciate it. Be sure to give Tony a follow. And then if you're listening to us on Apple podcasts or Spotify, please subscribe and leave us a rating. And if you're listening on YouTube, please like, subscribe, helps more people learn about us helps more people get better tournament golf and then if you're trying to find us on social media you can find us on instagram at the tournament code and on twitter slash x tournament code as always we appreciate you taking the time to join us and dive in deeper to what it takes to play elite tournament golf (laughs) 